Angelou once said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the eighth season of New Way. I am your host, Sarah Hayden. This is our tech season. Every episode will feature really quick, amazing tips that will get your life and community back on track within the span of an episode. Just kidding. We all know it's never that easy. This work is as old as the hills. So rather than give you quick tips, we'll highlight the spiritual practices that are rooted in our tradition and in our shared experience of being human. Won't you join us? Today is all about stories, holy listening, especially within Generation Z, that creative and problem-solving group of young people that loves TikTok and hates Facebook. But there's more to them than that. That TikTok piece, it just took it to a new level. I was so struck by the vulnerability of the adult. It did kind of make me think like, what in the world would I go on and ask a millions of social media people to help me with? It just was this example to me of who's watching, what young people are thinking, and their ability to be genuinely kind and helpful. Today is part one of my conversation with Gina Yeager Buckley, who serves as the mission associate for Christian formation of youth of the Presbyterian Mission Agency. She's a brave and enthusiastic advocate for young people in the church, who looks for ways to encourage congregations to be shaped by the faith and life of the young people in their midst. You are going to feel more hopeful just by listening to Gina. On this episode, we talk about Generation Z, discuss possibly the sweetest thing ever to happen on TikTok, and how listening to one another's stories sets a foundation for a joyful, brave, and just future. Let's jump right in. Gina, I'm so glad to have you here on the podcast today. You've often reminded us that meaningful ministry shows us that the person sitting right next to us is not just any person, but someone who was once a child. So what was Gina like as a kid? (laughs) This is funny because I was just talking to a friend last night about being in ministry. So I have a brother, Ben. He's two and a half years younger, and he's not in ministry, although I laugh because really he should be. When we were little, um, say it was Advent time and it was time to like light the candles, you know, I would roll my eyes and be like, I'm over this. I'm out. I'm not doing this. It's so dumb. Forget it. (laughs) And Ben would be like, mom and dad, we have to light the candles. We have to read the prayers. And at night, Ben would have mom read him Proverbs. And I would be like, nope, thanks. Reading Nancy (laughs) Drew. (laughs) Proverbs. I love it. Yeah, I know. He was fascinated. And so it's just sort of funny how one child who has this like deep spiritual longing as a child ends up not in ministry and his big sister ends up completely immersed in ministry later. So I think I spent a lot of time pushing away the call that I had, even as a teenager and a child. So Mm. yeah, I also cut up, this is not a lie, my grandmother told me that I cut her Bible up when I was (laughs) three years old. She said, Gina Beth, you were mad at me about something, but you knew just how to get back at me. You cut my Bible up from the center <laughs> out. And I said, no, I didn't. She said, you did. My white, she was a Baptist. She had a big, giant Sunday school Bible, you know. And I think she probably wouldn't let us watch Hee Haw or Love Boat or something that we used to watch. <laughs> so yeah, that is just a picture of Gina as a child. I was the older child and so very responsible, except I had apparently a little bit of a disregard for spirituality as a small child. Just so. just cutting up the Bible a little bit. Yeah. Who doesn't yeah. want a ministry leader who does that, though? <laughs> 
so and secretly. Horrible. I feel like it shows some terrible evil side of me or something. You are a great storyteller and you're a great proponent of setting the table for meaningful relationships in the world. And you have actually this great article I came across this morning about the importance of telling our stories to one another. Mm. And in that article, you say, we are exceptionally skilled at our own opinions, but we are not practiced in the art of surrendering our thoughts, releasing our own attempt to attach a conclusion to someone else's sight. That is so true. I said (laughs) that. You said that. Yeah. Most of the time when we are listening and I'm putting my quotation fingers Mm -hmm. up, we're just waiting to talk. Yes. And sometimes that's a good thing. It's the enthusiasm that comes when you're in a great conversation. And you really see this in a youth room. People excited and falling all over each other in the words. That's a good time to not edit, I think. But particularly when you are the person in ministry, you are the adult in youth ministry or children's ministry, you want to be more skilled, I think, at listening fully, at not putting your own conclusions onto people's stories. And so that is something to work at. I'm always still analyzing somebody's story rather than listening. So I've been trying to get better and better at that as I get older and older. What have you learned personally about good listening? I think you call it holy listening. Holy listening. Yeah. It requires practice. Mm -hmm. It requires you every conversation to imagine you're pushing your voice down (laughs) so that Mm -hmm. your ears are doing all the work they can. I think I've learned that it's very challenging. But when you invite people to do it, there's kind of like a sigh of relief. They're like, okay, okay, good. I don't have to be smart. I don't have to share my opinion. I'm going to truly listen. Like there's almost a sort of joy that people have when they get reminded, when they are reminded to practice holy listening. I I notice that in our team of colleagues that sometimes we're doing devotions or we're doing conversations. And when you say, okay, we're going to have no edits, there's literally sort of a sigh of relief of like, okay, I don't have to prove my worth in my words. I get to really enjoy what you're saying. I might not agree, but I get to hear it. And by no edits, you mean no fixing, no piggybacking on something. Yeah, I think sometimes we're especially maybe us in the church and maybe really Presbyterians, we prove our worth through our knowledge, our experiences, and our opinions. And those are all God-given things, but sometimes an economy of words is good, you know, (laughs) an economy of piggybacking is good, and we can learn so much by resisting our own voice. I think if you can just practice it rather than announce it, it's one thing. So I try when I'm with young people. And I also try not to be that creepy adult listener who's like over listening. (laughs) (laughs) What does that look like? That looks like the adult that leans in completely and is like, what you're about to say is so wise. I want you want to be natural. And I think maybe that's people that love what they do in ministry. I'm, you know, if you're genuinely interested in the thoughts of a young person or of a child, or you really do want to hear versus I'm going to demonstrate how into your words I am right now. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) I remember being a teenager and we had this incredible group of youth advisors, like 10 or 12 of them. And these faces would beam at you when you entered the room. Uh, They were so happy to see us. It was like every week, every youth group, every Sunday school, every whatever, these eyes and these faces were just so full of love at, at seeing us and receiving us for whatever the 
plan was that day. And that was really powerful to me, almost as much as the programs or maybe more than the things we did. It was this presence that the adults had and that this love that they gave us. And I always think about that. Like, I think that young people are attracted to people that love them, you know, like they gravitate to those kind of people. So, and it's not that hard to be that person in the church. And I laugh, people say, oh, we don't have kids or we don't do youth ministry, but you can be genuinely excited for the children that you see. And that translates to them. Um, You could be genuinely excited for your one youth group kid (laughs) Mm -hmm. at your church. You can really translate that care by body language and what your heart and your eyes send out. So I think that's really as important as all the things we do. Yeah, absolutely. It's not proprietary to the church. No. It's like, oh, we don't have anybody to talk to in church. Well, you're not handcuffed to the church, right? You don't right. have to like only listen to kids in, in the youth group room, right? That's right. That, yeah, actually, our ministry with young people is citywide, worldwide. I always tell people like, you can watch the news and practice youth ministry. You can force your brain to calm down, your heart to calm down and listen to the words of these young people or listen to their stories and celebrate or grieve. Like that's also caring for the people God has put in our midst is these people, we have no idea who they are, but it's really learning and training yourself to pay attention to younger people in the world. I think it's very powerful and it does something good for all of us, Mm -hmm. politicians, teachers, doctors, nurses, you know, it does something good to pay attention and to celebrate younger voices and stories around you. You've done a lot of research in the past couple of years about this emerging generation known as Generation Z. Yes. So we're moving from the millennials to Generation Z. Now goods are being marketed towards this generation. So we're kind of getting a sense of what at least commerce thinks that the Generation Z is interested in and compelled by from examining those products themselves. And I'm wondering if you could just unpack some of that for us. I think TikTok is a fascinating thing. And honestly, as a 57-year-old woman, I've sort of avoided TikTok or I come to Uh, social media things a little bit later, always, I eventually get them because I think it's important to know what people are looking at. But I think TikTok is really a peek into marketing to Gen Z. (laughs) So what we think about Gen Z or what we sort of observe is that they immerse themselves into information, into trends, into music, into artists. You know, they don't just love a song. They will find out everything about the artist that sings and records that song and the producer. They love information. So they love to know goofy things. Like, um, So one of the TikToks that I followed that a bunch of teenagers were following is, cleaning up pools that have been disregarded for many years. So like this was a one day of vacation and it was pouring down rain. And so I got lost in TikTok and I just considered it research for my work. So it was like 15 year olds that their grandmother had a pool that had been under a cover for 15 or 20 years, like a beautiful, beautiful pool. And they're like, we cleaned our grandmother's pool. Here's a TikTok. And so it's time lapse over 12 days of them start to finish. And of course, how did they get their instructions? They Googled them Mm -hmm. and watched YouTube videos about how to clean a pool and went and bought the products and then recorded this on TikTok. And 
Sarah, I bet I watched like 20 of these swimming pool things. Okay, these are teenagers, and I found it sort of beautiful. Yeah. Like, this is something that has sat here. We could enjoy it. We're going to figure out the right chemicals, and we're going to use the knowledge that is now online everywhere. So they went to YouTube, Google, and TikTok to do these. So it wasn't a teenager, I don't think, unless I'm wrong, that imagined TikTok. It was an adult that imagined and marketed somehow TikTok that's become really popular with a lot of young people. And so that's a brilliant, maybe sometimes semi-evil, but most of the time brilliant way that we're thinking about Gen Z is they're immersive. They love information. They like to be a part of a solution. We laugh. We have all of these young activists in the world right now. And I think you can really see that when you look at social media, sort of how they're featured. Um, it sounds like yeah. people I would want to get to know. I think they are. I think you find joy in every generation. Every generation has its gifts, you know, has its beauty and also its challenges. But I'm just so excited that Gen Z has come along because I think they're just what we need right now. Gina, can I posit something to you? Yes. So the world, some would describe as unwieldy, mm. a lot of different things going on. And I would say for me, my instinct would be to sort of button it up, mm -hmm. just like figure it out. Do not open any other dynamics. And when it comes to youth ministry or conversations with young people, I think if I were to listen deeply, wholly listening to the stories, I might be afraid. Mm. <laughs> Of what they might say and how I have to, you know, feel that pressure to respond to yeah. it. someone actually echoing in their own personal experience. This is what it's like to be 17 right now. Or this is what it's like to be a 13 year old coming into middle school and, you know, making sense of my life. Yeah, I understand that. Well, this is maybe a bad example to respond to your positive, but I'll say it first. Sometimes for mental health reasons, for keeping clear, I can't watch the news yeah. for a, about a week. <laughs> yes. you know? And I can see yes. that opening up your heart and your mind to listen to what's going through a teenager's heart and mind could be really hard. But I don't think it has to be because the simple action of caring and listening, it doesn't mean you have to solve it. You know, most of our young people aren't looking for an immediate solution. They're looking to be heard. And then they feel energy to try to figure it out themselves. Like, that's what's so funny is most of the young people I know are like, I just need you to hear me, then I'll figure it out. Wow. <laughs> so they are good or bad. They're little fixers. I think that's really fascinating. Like they, And I think that's partly why they're so impatient with the world is it's sort of like, okay, you adults are doing a lot of talking and a lot of committees and a lot of autobiographies. What we need you to do is think about how to fix the climate. And so we need you to take some steps. We're ready to take some steps. So yes. I don't think anybody would be too overwhelmed. Like, just try it. Yeah. If you can handle voting, you can handle listening to a teenager. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Making an informed decision in politics. Yeah. It's fascinating because the energy really, if I'm paying attention to my life, yeah. as you alluded to, this idea of having to turn off the news yeah. or the 24-hour cycle anyways yeah. and get some freedom, get some space yeah. is very different than turning off the voices and experiences of the people close to us. Yeah. And there's a lot of enmeshment yeah. in our world. It's like I pick up my smartphone, I open whatever app that I'm automatically 
attracted to. Yeah. I pop it open. And then it sort of filtered through my body, my mind, out into my relational experiences. Yeah. But the process of holy listening, of setting a stage, whether it's in a church building, in a youth room, on the couches, simply opening ourselves up to deeply hear someone's, number one, their voice, the quality, the tonality of their voice, and then what they're conveying in their words and feelings toward us. Yeah. It's a totally different space. It's a totally different practice. It is. And it requires some sacrifice and Mm. it requires you to feel some stress or feel some anxiety or feel grief. And I think with young people in particular, there's often two dialogues going on. There's what they think they should be saying, you know, like what the tapes that they hear from their parents or from school or from the world around them. And then there's what they think under that tape. So sometimes I think it's double listening. So you're listening for what they say. Then you have to ask the question, what do you really think about that? And you almost get this release like, okay, thank you. You know, here's what I really think. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand this. Why can't we just do this? And there's a double part. So there's sacrifice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like I kind of want to crawl under my comforter right now (laughs) and not do a lot of holy anything. Like (laughs) it feels heavy and hard. And so a good example, the youth team at the church where my husband and I are members, amazing central pres here in Louisville, Kentucky. And I've been taking a break for about the last year and a half. I had been doing the Sunday school and youth team for about 10 or 12 years. And I remember I just sort of hit a wall one day. And so that's also important is to know when you need to kind of step back because you're yelling at everybody. All of a sudden, <laughs> you know. But I had this conversation via Zoom a few months ago with the youth team. They were just spent. They felt like they didn't have any more ideas for kind of maintaining energy or relationships or connection. So they said, would you Zoom with us and tell us what other churches are doing? And I laughed. I was like, everybody feels the same, y'all. And just hearing that was sort of a relief to them. I think like we are all in this very strange time together. And I said, you know, I think one of the things that we have to do right now is recognize that we've got limits, that young people have limits on attention and time and you've got limits. And so to be okay with that, to shoot for short term things, you know, two to four weeks, we're going to do this and then we're going to take a break. You know, it's just a lot to juggle right now. Mm -hmm. And so I was just struck by the kind of energy they felt like they had been putting out, but they didn't feel like it was enough. And I'm just not sure anybody could do enough right now for young people or for anything. You know, it's definitely a strange survival time. So I really feel for folks who are trying to do relational ministry right now. I guess you could argue all ministry is, but particularly children's ministry, youth ministry, Sunday school, these things that we're used to being in a room together and talking, it's very different to maintain that on a little square without the natural sort of rock tumbler of laughter and story sharing. You know, it's just weird and interruptive and strange and it zaps a lot of energy. So I think it's hard. So if you're going to do it, you kind of have to go into it going, I'm going to sacrifice some of my sanity right now (laughs) 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 to gather this youth group via Zoom. Yeah. And God bless people. They are doing it all over the place. (laughs) We've got a colleague, Michael Gerling. Shout out to Michael, Michael, who had this practice in his church plant 
in Pittsburgh, whereby he invited someone who happened to visit to coffee, to lunch, to some sort of a sitting around a table together. And what he asked was, what has your life been like that prompted you to visit church? And a year from now, what would you like to be different? And that was sort of the substance of that conversation again and again with different people. It was just him prompting that reflection yeah, and listening to people's answers. Yeah. And it feels like such a disciplined, Michael's a very disciplined person, Yeah, a wise and disciplined way to get to know someone and offering oneself to not necessarily create a program in response yeah. to, yeah. but just to hear it, to set a place where that can be yeah. received. I love the simplicity of that too. That's brilliant. And it's key to what we're going through right now. I'm that the same conversation that I was talking about with our, our youth team. I remember one of the things we were talking about Gen Z again, I said, you know, one of the wonderful gifts that we have of Gen Z is they love to think about favorite things, their favorite song, their favorite birthday moment, their favorite time in church, their favorite time they ever laughed so hard. And they relish searching through their mind files. They relish that. Mm. And so that's so simple to do sort of, we're going to do favorites today. And all you're doing is sort of teasing out these memories and these stories. And that in and of itself is really holy and really powerful and really simple. Mm. And so it's so funny that Discipline is really simple sometimes. It's like spiritual practice, spiritual discipline. These are really simple things that we can do to help each other laugh, help each other storytell, help each other search for God, help each other identify these incredible moments in our lives. So, and it was so funny. The whole group was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> we don't have to figure out awkward, strange games where we don't touch each other or laugh or fall or have droplets involved. We just have to have conversations. So it's just funny that we have to be reminded of the simplicity of ministry. Sometimes we have to be reminded. Yeah, absolutely. And there must be space yeah. for the interweaving of our lives yeah. with each other yeah. and with the divine. Yeah. And you know, I was thinking, Sarah, this whole thing about TikTok, if you get lost on a TikTok trail, like I did that day, it's hours of young people sharing. Like I saw this one thing where a sort of middle-aged woman got on and she said, I don't want you to laugh at me, but I want to redo my makeup routine. (laughs) She said, and I want some help from young people, but I'm really feeling vulnerable and I don't want you to laugh. And so (laughs) thousands of teenagers kindly responded with, okay, have you tried this? Try this blurring foundation. And so literally it's hours of back and forth TikTok of teenagers saying, I'm not laughing. I love makeup. I love makeup's my passion. I love that you asked this. Oh my God, that is the nicest thing. I know. And I'm sure in in the comments, but I try to stay away from comments because I'm way too fragile for the meanness of the commenting world of social media, as are a lot of people, I think. But I was just so struck by this thing that was happening. Like, this is that thing that I was talking about where young people, they share sort of what they think you want to hear, but then they get real. That's one of the nicest things I've ever heard, really. (laughs) I know. We talk a lot about intergenerational ministry. And what we really mean by that are 
intergenerational relationships, that you can share stories, that you can share spiritual practices, that you can do these things together in worship, church, regular life, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and enjoy other generations. But that TikTok piece, it just took it to a new level. And I was so struck by the vulnerability of the adult. I don't know that I would have the bravery. It did kind of make me think like, what in the world would I go on and ask a millions of social media people to help me with, you know, but it just was this example to me of who's watching, what young people are thinking, and their ability to be genuinely kind and helpful. And the whole makeup thing is is a whole other Gen Z thing. Like that is a fascinating, huge Generation Z trend right now, makeup. <laughs> so yeah. the cosmetic industry is just booming with this Generation Z. And it's not makeup like it was for me. Like when you're in seventh grade, you know, you can wear cream colored eyeshadow. It's I never moved beyond that. Yeah, <laughs> that was the rule. And, and then you could wear lip slicks, you know, whatever. But the young people <laughs> I work with now, they it's like a, a skill, a talent, a thing they practice and not to look better, but to be creative. So I think that's kind of fascinating. It is fascinating. I was just So I wanted to ask you about establishing, I guess, for lack of a better term, normative practices Mm. or boundaries where we, like the woman did who was on TikTok was like, don't laugh at me. I'm (laughs) going to be really vulnerable here. And then people didn't because they were asked not to. They were asked not to. I think about my son, Ben, who's four, Mm -hmm. and he wants to always play when he gets home from school with the big boys mm-hmm. next door, which is eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, you know, mm-hmm. the really big kids. Yeah. And he always says, come with me. And he hides behind a bush <laughs> <laughs> and while I go. And he says, ask them if I can play. And yeah. they always say yes. They're kind. Yeah. I mean, young people are kind. Yeah. I think there is something about my presence, though, being there and saying, yeah. I've been kind to them. I occasionally drop little things like, you guys are the kind, you are the best kids. Yeah. I love this group yeah. of people. You know, you always include, you know, I just affirm them. Yeah. But while Ben hides behind the bush, he waits for me to sort of set the stage for this positive interaction. <laughs> yeah. That's such an art. It's a real opportunity for humans now yeah. for us to decide whether we're going to be the host that says, this is how this group functions. Yeah. This is how we approach one another and interact with one another. And the subtext is, this is how we don't do it. And I wonder if you have thoughts on the role of that for not just at youth ministers or youth ministry teams, mm-hmm. but one-to-one or small group interactions together. Yeah. I'm fascinated because I'm thinking like, what would happen if Ben didn't have you as the mediator? You know, like what? Yeah. It makes you curious about the dynamics. Yeah. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, would the kids... Let him in. Would they let him <laughs> in? Would they tap into their possible kindness? Or would mm-hmm. they sort of say no? Because sometimes our human nature is just to say no first, mm-hmm. which is very strange. So it's just interesting that you are in that kind of mediator place, but you're most effective when you also are firm. I love what's happening here. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that many children or people get affirmed in how they're doing life. (laughs) You know, so they just sort of keep doing it. And sometimes that's good or bad. So I do think that's a fascinating thing to think about in the church is who who mediates for us, who or who helps us know how we look and how we sound and who we are. And I remember being a very young 
Christian educator. And the head of staff said, Gina, we don't know what goes on in the youth room. We don't know what happens at elementary fellowship. He said, we need you to tell the church. He said, part of your job is doing those things. The other part is communicating and telling the stories of what happens. Because most church members are like, I don't want to interrupt. I'm not going to go down there and and look or peek because you have this sense you're interrupting. So two things, I, I learned a valuable lesson and I share it all the time with youth workers, like tell the stories of what you're seeing and hearing. And number two, invite more people in and help them understand. These are kind, generous, funny people that you want to know, you know, that you want to be around. So have youth group for the church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, interrupt like, the generational interrupt silos. Interrupt the generational yeah. silos. And, and it doesn't mean that youth ministry has to stop or that that sacred time, because it is sacred to have time with people like you in your same age range, but it's also sacred to open up the doors and to let people in and be a part of that. I, I think there's such a value. So it would be cool to see people as mediators like that. You know, I'm not just the youth worker or the DCE or the associate pastor for Christian education. I'm also the mediator between these amazing people and the rest of the church. Friends, we'll be back next week with Gina as she talks about the inherent risk of following Jesus and the ways in which she invites us to embrace failure in the church. Stay tuned for all our upcoming episodes from season eight of New Way. We'll explore contemplation, silence, innovation, neighborliness, and more with our awesome lineup of guests. Whether you're listening along with a group of people or prefer to keep these amazing episodes all to yourself and to just let the magic flow through you as you live your life, you can subscribe at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and listen online at newchurchnewway.org or wherever you do the podcast listening. Thanks for listening to New Way. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Sanders. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Catch you next time.